Today is the 21st day of December. Welcome to the Daily Audio Bible. I am Brian, and it is great to be here with you today around the global campfire. And I'm glad that we can take the next step forward together. And that next step forward, as you can imagine, this time of year leads us to a brand new book, the 11th out of the 12 minor prophets. But we get to kind of uh, exhale, settle in, and stay with this upcoming text for a while. This is the book of Zechariah, and we will uh, hang out here in Zechariah until the last two days of the year together. Zechariah was a contemporary with Haggai, which is the book that we read yesterday. Although Zechariah continued his ministry long after Haggai, but they were prophesying at the same place, at the same time, for the same reason, which was the rebuilding of the temple. And what we know is Zechariah's grandfather, his name was Edo, was among the first of the leaders of the priestly families that were able to return to the ancestral homeland after exile. And Edo came back with Zerubbabel. And that tells us a little bit about Zechariah, that he was probably a priest. He was at least a part of a priestly family. And his name means... God remembers, and it is a covenantal remembering that is a theme of the book of Zechariah. And we read Haggai in its entirety yesterday. Zechariah is going to take us to the last couple of days of the year, so it's much longer than Haggai, so there's a bigger scope here and some different features. Like uh, Zechariah will tell us of eight night visions that he was able to experience and they all kind of have have an apocalyptic nature to them they're very highly symbolic very similar to what we're reading in the book of revelation right now in light of the rebuilding of the temple god was initiating a much broader plan of sweeping restoration but the people would have to respond and so we find in Zechariah God saying things like, Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And Zechariah also foretells of a coming messianic figure. There are, are verses that should sound familiar, like, Rejoice, O people of Zion! Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem! Look, your king is coming to you! He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colts. That should sound familiar. That sounds an awful lot like Jesus. And because of that, Zechariah is quoted in the New Testament. So Zechariah being an Old Testament prophetic book is quoted in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of John, and in the book of Revelation, all in reference to Jesus. And ultimately, Zechariah is meant to be received as a prophetic encouragement and to remind us 
that God is absolutely sovereign in all things at all times and in all places, known or unknown. And we can rest in that because God is our Father. The sovereign God is our Father. And if we return to Him, He will return to us. And so we begin Zechariah chapter 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the Lord's word came to Zechariah the prophet, Berechiah's son and Edo's grandson. The Lord was terribly angry with your ancestors. But you must say to the people, the Lord of heavenly forces proclaims, Return to me, says the Lord of heavenly forces, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heavenly forces. Don't be like your ancestors to whom the former prophets preached. The Lord of heavenly forces proclaims, Turn from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they didn't listen. They didn't draw near to me. So where are your ancestors? Do the prophets live forever? In fact, didn't my words and laws which I gave to my servants, the prophets, pursue your ancestors? And then the people changed their hearts and they said, The Lord of heavenly forces has treated us according to what we have done, exactly as he planned. On the 24th day of the 11th month, the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the Lord's word came to Zechariah the prophet, Berechiah's son and Edo's grandson. Tonight I looked and saw a man riding on a red horse, which was standing among the myrtle trees in the valley, and behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. I said, What are these, sir? The messenger speaking with me said, I will show you what they are. The man standing among the myrtles responded, These are the ones the Lord sent to patrol the earth. Then they responded to the Lord's messenger who was standing among the myrtles, We have patrolled the earth. The whole earth is peaceful and quiet. Then the Lord's messenger who was speaking with me said, Lord of heavenly forces, how long will you withhold compassion from Jerusalem and the cities of Judah with whom you have been angry these 70 years? The Lord responded to the messenger who was speaking with me with kind and compassionate words. The messenger speaking with me called out, This is what the Lord of heavenly forces says. I care passionately about Jerusalem and Zion. And I am exceedingly angry with those carefree nations. Though I was somewhat angry, they added to the violence. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I have returned to Jerusalem with compassion. My house will be built in it, says the Lord of heavenly forces. Let a measuring line be stretched over Jerusalem. 
call out again. The Lord of heavenly forces proclaims, My cities will again overflow with prosperity. The Lord will again show compassion to Zion and will again choose Jerusalem. Then I looked up and saw four horns. I said to the messenger speaking with me, What are these? He said to me, These are the horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four metal workers. I said, What are they coming to do? And he said, These are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could raise his head. The metal workers have come to terrify them and to destroy the horns of the nations. Those who were attacking the land of Judah with their horns to scatter it. Revelation 12 Then a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman, clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because she was in labor, in pain from giving birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. It was a great fiery red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven royal crowns on his heads. His tail swept down a third of heaven's stars and threw them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. She gave birth to a son, a male child who is to rule all the nations with an iron rod. Her child was snatched up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the desert where God has prepared a place for her. There she will be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but they did not prevail, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. So the great dragon was thrown down. The old snake who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. The accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them day and night before our God has been thrown down. They gained the victory over him on account of the blood of the Lamb and the word of their witness. Love for their own lives didn't make them afraid to die. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But oh, the horror for the earth and sea. The devil has come down to you with great rage, for he knows that he only has a short time. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he chased the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she could fly to her place in the desert, 
There she would be taken care of, out of the snake's reach, for a time and times and half a time. Then from his mouth the snake poured a river of water after the woman so that the river would sweep her away. But the earth helped the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was furious with the woman and he went off to make war on the rest of her children, on those who keep God's commandments and hold firmly to the witness of Jesus. Then the dragon stood on the seashore. Psalm 140 For the music leader, a psalm of David. Rescue me from evil people, Lord. Guard me from violent people who plot evil things in their hearts, who pick fights every single day. They sharpen their tongues like a snake's. Spider poison is on their lips. Selah. Protect me from the power of the wicked, Lord. Guard me from violent people who plot to trip me up. Arrogant people have laid a trap for me with ropes. They've spread out a net alongside the road. They've set snares for me. Selah. I tell the Lord, you are my God. Listen to my request for mercy, Lord. My Lord, God, my strong, saving help, you've protected my head on the day of battle. Lord, don't give the wicked what they want. Don't allow their plans to succeed or they'll exalt themselves even more. Selah. Let the heads of the people surrounding me be covered with the trouble their own lips caused. Let burning coals fall on them. Let them fall into deep pits and never get out again. Let no slanderer be safe in the land. Let calamity hunt down violent people. And quickly... I know that the Lord will take up the case of the poor and will do what is right for the needy. Yes, the righteous will give thanks to your name and those who do right will live in your presence. Proverbs 30, 17 An eye that mocks a father and rejects obedience to a mother, may the ravens of the river valley peck it out and the eagle's young eat it. Father, thank you again for another day. Thank you again for the celebration that we are involved in right now as we approach Christmas Day. Thank you for the joy that we experience in our hearts. Thank you for the overwhelming love that we are contemplating this week. Thank you for the gift of your arrival. Thank you for the gift of the scriptures. 
Thank you for the gift of each other around the global campfire each day as we continue to pursue your word and feast upon it as you lead us into the truth. We love you, Lord. We adore you. We honor you. Thank you for the wisdom that you have bestowed upon us and the life that you have given us. And we ask, as we do so often, lead us into all truth, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. DailyAudioBible.com is home base. It's a website. It's where you find out what's going on around here. We're moving through the week of Christmas. That's what's going on around here all over the place. I was just thinking a, a, a minute ago that today would have been my parents' wedding anniversary. Of course, they're, they're celebrating all of this in heaven. But I, but I remember them both today and every day for that matter. But I remember them both and miss them myself at, at Christmas time. But we are moving through the Christmas week, and let's remember to stay locked in here around the global campfire. We talked about this before the season ever started, and now we are in the thick of it. And let's remember that we have an oasis that we can come to each and every day out of the hustle and bustle, a safe place to allow God to speak through his word. And let's enjoy, enjoy this moment of celebration that God is with us as we continue these days marching toward Christmas Day. If you want to partner with the Daily Audio Bible in these remaining days of this year that we have together, thank you humbly, deeply, profoundly for your partnership. We wouldn't be here if we weren't in this together. That is what makes it a global campfire. And so thank you humbly for your partnership. There is a link on the homepage at dailyaudiobible.com. If you're using the app, you can press the give button in the upper right hand corner. Or the mailing address is P.O. Box 1996, Spring Hill, Tennessee. 37174 and as always if you have a prayer request or encouragement you can hit the hotline button in the app or you can dial 877-942-4253 and that's it for today I'm Brian I love you and I'll be waiting for you here tomorrow Hey, Dr. John, this is Artie from Arkansas. I want to just connect with you and say, hey, I am an Ezra grandpa as well. And uh, it is the greatest thing, God's gift to us, um, to be able to hold your child's child. Oh, my goodness. Such joy, such wonder. And 
uh, holding this child is is holding uh, a piece of me, a piece of my history, and uh, just uh, it, it's it's so great. My daughter and and uh, and uh, the, her husband's family. Oh my! It's uh, everything about it is just marvelous. But it's how I also know how God loves us, how God loves me, because we are part of God also. He created us. And as much as I would do anything for, for my Ezra and other grandchildren, I, would, I know that God would do the same for us. So I just want to congratulate you and I want to end with uh, my daughter sent this video of uh, Ezra singing a song. He was singing, Jingle bells, jingle bells, the Bible tells me so. Oh, I thought that was the greatest. Anyway, happy for you, happy for every one of the dabbers. Uh, have a blessed Christmas and a new year. Bye now. Hi, this is Laura calling from New York, and I wanted to call in. Today is Friday, December 16th. I just heard the prayer request from the gentleman with the 26-year-old uh, son who is nonverbal autistic, and um, he just placed him in a, um, I guess, a, a state facility, a group home. And sir, I, um, I wanted to call in as my heart goes out to you, um, you know, you mentioned that you had wanted prayer from, you know, folks who have no idea what you're going through. Sir, I know exactly what you are going through. I also have a nonverbal autistic son. He is 12. Um, and and in, in addition, an older son uh, that, that is also on the spectrum. And so I do completely understand. And in fact, we're in the process of placing our 12-year-old son in a residential program, um, knowing that it is going to be the best thing for him. And so I just want to encourage you, this is going to be wonderful for your son. Um, I'm just sure of it. I'm sure that, you know, again, there are, there are things that they can do that you know, that we as parents, we, um, we just can't, but I do understand the heartbreak. I am going through it myself. Um, so I just, I just want you to know that, that, uh, there are others out there who, who understand, who are going through the exact same thing. Um, and that, you know, God is, he's with us, he's here. And I just, um, I lift you up. I pray for you and I pray for your son. Amen. Hello, Daily Audio Bible. This is Drea from New Mexico, and I have two prayer requests, one for my son, who's 25 years old and has lost his job, his car, and his place of living within a short period of time and bad decisions. And he just needs help getting back online and back in a job. And I'd also like to pray for myself, um, my bank account has been hacked and someone has been trying to steal thousands of dollars from me and I'm taking precautions but I'm a single mom and this is very scary 
and uh, just need the blood of Jesus. So if you could pray for that, I would very much appreciate it. Thank you. Good morning, Daily Audio Bible. This is Joyous Janice coming to you uh, on just a few days before Christmas. Um, yesterday, Brian read from the book of Revelation that verse that says that God will wipe away every tear. And it brought to mind two and a half years ago when my husband drew his last breath. I was standing next to him and I knew his time was just about there. And I told him, Jesus is coming for you very soon. And he was unable to speak, but he had tears running down his eyes. And then he took his last breath. And I know now that God has wiped all those tears from his eyes and he's in heaven rejoicing with him. And I just thank the Lord for that uh, hope that we all have that we will see our loved ones in heaven and that he is going to wipe away even our very tears that we are crying today because we miss them. God bless you and Merry Christmas all. Good morning, DAB family. This is Saved by Grace in California. I just like to lift up in prayer our brother Josh, who's in uh, hospital in Kaiser in Fresno. Father, in the name of Jesus, I lift my brother up to you. I plead the blood of Jesus over him and I pray for his salvation. I claim his soul for Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, for his healing power, your healing power to just Touch him, Father God, from the very top of his head to the very soles of his feet. Let your healing power penetrate his body and make him whole. I pray for the doctors, the nurses, Lord, that you give them wisdom, guidance, and discernment. Father, I pray for all the medication, Father God, that it would do that what it's set out to do. And we thank you for this victory over him. We thank you for the healing in his body right now. We thank you in advance, Father God, for that what you are about to do and the testimony and the miracle that is about to occur in his body. Father, that will be that you will be glorified and that others will see this, Father God, and come to know you and trust in you, Father God. We thank you for this victory, Lord, and I pray for my sister who brought this prayer to us that you remove all anxiety, worry, and fear from her and just give her a heart of peace and comfort. In this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's go back into the book of Revelation for a minute. Yesterday we were talking about the book of Haggai, and uh, but up until that point we had been waiting for this seventh trumpet to blow and that happened and we missed it. So let's go back and try to catch ourselves up. Because the book of Revelation, like if you blink, you miss something and there's just so much going on. So six trumpets blew and then there was this kind of uh, a side. There was sort of this like side story going on in between the sixth and the seventh trumpets that we were working through. And we continued that yesterday where uh, a temple being measured and two witnesses in sackcloth who are prophetic and uh, speak on behalf of God being sent out for 1,260 days. And again, we have to pay attention to the way in which we're reading this. We've looked at a lot of things through a literal perspective and understood, wow, this would be really hard to be literal. And then we've looked figuratively at a lot of things and at what scholars have researched for centuries in order to understand the symbolism. 
But it's interesting how we kind of move back and forth between literal and symbolic language. So for the most part, we've agreed like a lot of this is symbolism and what does this symbolism mean? But then we move into other things and because of popular culture or novels or films or whatever, we move back into literal. So we have this temple being measured. We've seen this before in other prophetic books. And so from a little literal perspective, we're imagining a third temple, another temple being built in Jerusalem. And some people are so deeply convinced that this will literally happen that preparations are being made, like all of the utensils that would be needed for the temple, according to the Torah, have been and are being made. And, and there's even a museum in Jerusalem that you can go see some of these things. A figurative view of this would be that what's being measured here is referring to uh, this new world, this new thing that God is doing, and perhaps can only be seen through spiritual eyes. Well, others would say this is this the measure. This is the spiritual kingdom of God, the covenant being represented, and this courtyard and everything around it is for God's people. This represents the entire community of faith whose job is to be a prophetic witness in the world. And then we get to these um, messengers, right? These guys in sackcloth who are, who are prophets and uh, who are going to find themselves getting killed and then they'll be resurrected. And we see this sometimes from a literal perspective and it's zombie-like and um, kind of scary stuff. And we see it depicted in films. When all along, we've been mostly looking allegorically. And so it's funny how we'll get pulled into literal versus allegorical symbolism and get confused. So some people think that these two witnesses are literally a reincarnated Moses and Elijah or other prophets. While others would say, no, they're just unnamed. We don't know who they are. They're like John the Baptist, who who was uh, who came in the spirit and power of Elijah. So they're just like that. Well, uh, those who would look more symbolically would say this. This simply represents the prophetic witness of what God is doing in the world while he's doing what he's doing in the world. And what he's doing in the world is transforming it, making it new. And that transformation is causing a lot of unrest. But God will not allow his prophetic witness to be stamped out. And so there are two of these witnesses and it would require two or more witnesses to testify to the truth of something. Like that was a legal thing. Or the Bible tells us when there is two or more, then the Lord is in the midst of them. So these aren't like real, actual prophets at all from that view. They represent the ongoing um, prophetic witness in the world. And if we continue to look at it through that lens, I mean, these guys end up getting killed. They're causing a lot of unrest because of their prophetic witness. And because of what's going on in the world, everyone turns on them. They're killed and their bodies are left to lay for three and a half days. And Revelation says those living on earth will gloat over the witness's death, which has pulled many people more toward a literal view and led interpretations like, oh, well, this must be um, television. Uh, Television must be um, being prophesied here in the book of Revelation because that's the only way that those living on earth could gloat over the witness's death because 
their physical bodies are laying in one place, but that can only be seen around the world through some kind of internet communication or television communication, which leads us back around to the problem of time that we talked about a couple days ago. Those who are more presentist or futurist in their view of the book of Revelation are looking for the signs. And so you have um, modern day interpretations where World War II is one of the signs, the unrest in the Middle East is one of the signs, the country of Russia is one of the signs. And so we're back to literal. And that's fine, but it has problems. And the top one for, for me anyway would be that this book was written nearly 2,000 years ago. And the first readers of this book read it 2,000 years ago. They could have not imagined television satellite communication, internet, or any of that stuff. They couldn't have imagined it. So if the book of Revelation is actually speaking about this time now, they could have never found a way to understand it. There would be no context whatsoever. And it's important to at least take into consideration how the first readers of this work would have understood it because God chose to inspire it at a specific time. So when that context is removed, well, then every generation thinks this is all going down in their time. So for example, if we look at World War II and say this has got to be one of the signs because nothing like that, that kind of mass destruction, that kind of loss and conflict had never happened in the world before. So that's got to be something. As true as that might be, humanity has been uh, suffering through catastrophes all along. So, for example, if you're living in the first century and you're living in I Israel and your uh, people are warring with the Romans, but the Romans are, are taking victory and they ultimately do become victorious and stamp out the rebellion and completely level the city of Jerusalem and destroy and burn the temple of God. Because that's your time, you're going, nothing worse in the world could happen than this. So every, every generation has its own share of catastrophe and people look to those things for the signs. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with that, except for, <laughs> except for context and except for the fact that everyone, everyone who has thought that to this point has been wrong. And literally to date, everyone who has made predictions about specific dates for specific things to happen has been wrong which probably means that the allegorical view is the most comprehensive way of looking at most of this and trying to understand how the first readers of this work understood it is also important. So as I was saying, if we're liter literally looking at this, then there's a couple of witnesses in sackcloth that are like, they, they appear to be like Old Testament prophets. We don't have them named. They prophesy, they give witness, which is the point. They give witness, prophetic witness to what God is doing in the world, but they are opposed in dramatic fa fashion all the way until their deaths and their bodies lay for three and a half days. 
and the whole world sees it because of the internet or television or something. But those who, who look at this more symbolically, allegorically, or figuratively would say, now these witnesses, there's two or more, there's two of them. They can witness to the truth of what they're saying. They represent God's people, his prophetic witness of what he's doing, the good news, the gospel on this earth. They can be seen throughout the earth because they're all over the earth and they will be dramatically opposed and it will look as if they have been killed. So we're not talking about people now, we're talking about the witness of the gospel. It will look as if it has been completely stamped out. And the enemies of God will gloat the world over, over this. And before all of that happens, they're able to be a prophetic witness for three and a half years, which has led many people to make this correlation to Jesus because that's about the length of his earthly ministry. And then when they are killed, they lay for three and a half days. And so there's a rough correlation there to Jesus in the tomb. And unexpectedly, they are resurrected, following in line with Jesus. And so when this resurrection occurs, great fear falls upon all those who had had seen this go down. Once the witnesses are resurrected from the dead and a great awe and fear surrounds the event, a loud voice from heaven calls them back up and they go up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies watch them. So from, you know, like if you're looking at this literally, then that's what happens. If you're looking at it a little bit more symbolically, then you can see the correlations to Jesus. And from an allegorical interpretive perspective, then this witness, this prophetic witness that has been upon the earth right until the very, very end, it's called up. And immediately a giant earthquake happens, powerful earthquake that kills many people. And the people who had seen all this go down gave glory to God. So some interpreters would say this whole thing, like the prophetic witness in the world and the seeming stamping out of God's people, and then the unexpected resurrection causes a lot of people to turn uh, their faith and put their hope in Christ. Other people would say, no, that's not what happens at all. They are in great fear. Great fear falls upon these people in the same way that Great fear fell upon Egypt when the great plagues and the uh, Israelites' deliverance was at hand. Either way, Revelation says, once this happens, the second catastrophe is over and the third catastrophe will soon be here. And finally, the seventh angel blows the seventh trumpet. And it's like we're expecting (laughs) like the world to blow up at this point. Because we've been told that the second catastrophe is over and the third will soon be here. But when the seventh angel blows his trumpet, something completely different happens. It's as if we're seeing the inauguration of the kingdom of God right before our eyes. And it's here that we kind of need to pause and look at how we're viewing all of this. Usually, whether we're trying to read this literally or figuratively or whether we're trying to figure out the symbols, it brings this disruption to us because we're focused on the difficulties that appear to be happening on earth, whether spiritually or physically. 
we start thinking, why do things have to be so catastrophic? Why do they have to be so dramatic? Do I have to go through that? Will I have to experience any of this? Is this really going to happen or is it symbols and it's, it brings a great disruption? And we lose sight of the bigger picture of what's actually happening. One kingdom does not overthrow another kingdom without a significant amount of unrest. And we have the accountings of several thousand years of human conflict to show us that. But when Jesus came and was seemingly defeated only to be resurrected in victory, things changed dramatically in the world. And as believers, we are engaged in the story that we are reading about. We are witnesses in the world for the good news, of the good news. And what we're watching play out in the book of Revelation is the good news being consummated. The kingdom of God that we hope for actually coming to be. So when the seventh angel blows a seventh trumpet, we're back in heaven. There are loud voices and they are saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will rule as king forever and ever. Right? So this transition is upon us. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. When that's said, the 24 elders on their thrones in God's presence bow and worship God, and they have something to say. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun ruling as king. So we could say God is sovereign and he could have stepped in and done this at any point, but we're getting a vision of when he does. He begins ruling as king. And when this happens, Revelation says the temple in heaven was opened and the ark of God's promise was seen inside his temple and there was lightning and noise and thunder and an earthquake and heavy hail. So we end, ended our reading yesterday by getting this majestic picture of the transformation that is happening in heaven and on earth as the story continues forward. And then we get into today's reading and we've got this crazy story about dragons and a pregnant woman and war in heaven. And many commentators draw attention to this story because it contains all of the mythical elements that we are drawn to even until today. Because we have extraterrestrial beings, right? Strange beings uh, coming to earth in a grand struggle between good and evil. And a lot, of, uh, a lot of movies are made that make a lot of money depicting this kind of thing. Not the book of Revelation, but the mythical qualities. And some commentators would say that's really how you need to read this or to understand this whole book. And I've heard the Star Wars phenomenon used as an example of this. We've had these films around, what, for more than 30 years? And they touch us mythically because they, they speak of the cosmic struggle between good and evil. 
And so you have some people who have never seen any of the films. You have some people who maybe have seen some of them, but it's not super connected to them, but they understand the, the general idea of these movies. And then you have other people who are so into it that they have costumes for their favorite characters, the ones that they want to be, and they'll go to conventions and walk around and try to impersonate these people and have these conversations. So, for example, if you are a Star Wars buff, you really, really like it a lot, you probably have a group of friends who also like it a lot, and at some point or another you may have had conversations that lasted maybe even hours as you try to understand the deeper meanings that may be hidden in the films so that you have an awareness of what is really being disclosed, what is really being revealed. Right? So people do this with like film trilogies like The Matrix or uh, series like The Leftovers. Like you have these conversations trying to reveal the hidden meanings trying to find the revelation. So I don't know about all that, but I do know what we're trying to do is walk into the territory of the book of Revelation and look around, try to get our bearings for the way that this book has been understood and acknowledge that it's been understood a lot of ways. And uh, so the vision that we read today is definitely mythic and epic and has been uh, interpreted in a number of diverse ways. So we began our reading today in the 12th chapter of Revelation by hearing a spectacular sign appeared in the sky. So I guess we should should say this is symbolic. It's a sign. And the way that this plays out is that there's a woman, and she's dressed with the sun, and she's got the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head, and she's pregnant, And she's about to give birth. She's in the agony and the labor pains of giving birth. And then another sign comes into the sky. And this is a fiery red serpent with seven heads and and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. And uh, on its way down, it sweeps away one third of the stars in the sky and throws them down. And the serpent uh, confronts her is in front of the woman who's about to give birth so she can't very well defend herself she's about to give birth and what the serpent wants is to eat the infant the second it's born but the baby's born and it's a boy and uh, he is to rule all nations with an iron scepter and the child was snatched and taken to god to, to the throne room to the throne of god and then the woman um after just having given birth, fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place for her so that she could be um, safe for 1,260 days. So it's hard to miss the parallels with, with the Christmas story, right? With the birth of Jesus story here, although it's a very, very different story, leading uh, some to believe this, that this isn't about Jesus. This isn't a picture of Jesus' birth. Well, others would say, no, this woman is Mary and she's having, uh, she's having Jesus. And what we're seeing here is simply the Christmas story from a heavenly or spiritual perspective. But these have problems. Another allegorical way of looking at this is that the woman represents God's people on the earth, a form of, uh, of true Israel. This is why she's got a crown of 12 stars on her head. 
and her uh, her travail in childbirth is simply the birth pains of the kingdom to this new thing. So after she has her baby and her baby is saved, she's led into the wilderness, which would coincide with the story of the children of Israel and their deliverance from Egypt, from slavery, on their way to the promised land. And God prepared a place for her in the wilderness that she would be protected uh, for this 1,260 days, which is the exact amount of time that the final witnesses, those two witnesses we just talked about from yesterday's reading, were able to be a prophetic voice. And by looking at it this way, we have to almost reconsider or reframe our idea of wilderness. We've talked a lot because, we, you know, the Bible, a lot of the Bible happens in the wilderness or in wilderness experiences. And so we've talked a lot about the wilderness shaping and forming us. But in this picture, the wilderness is also a place of protection. And so where this meets with our lives is that, you know, when we find ourselves in a wilderness experience, most of our prayers are about about how God can quickly deliver us from it when actually what God might be doing by leading us into wilderness experience experiences is protecting us. Okay, and then the next thing that we see in this story is that war breaks out in heaven. And Michael and his angels fight with the serpent and uh, his, his minions. And the serpent is defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. This, the, the book of Revelation says. The huge serpent was thrown down. That ancient snake named Devil and Satan. The deceiver of the whole world was thrown down to earth. Its angels were thrown down with it. And this is where we get that imagery about how Satan fell. Normally, though, we think that that happened before there were any human beings created. And we think that because a serpent shows up in the Garden of Eden. But let's just talk this through for a second. We have examples in the scriptures of what Satan or what the devil, what his work is about. And what he does is accuse and slander the true. He deceives. And we have pictures of Jesus being our advocate in heaven before the throne of God. In other words, Jesus shuts the accusations down. But it leads us to wonder if Satan is allowed to be in the presence of God in order to make these accusations. Is he allowed to move between heaven and earth back and forth? And that kind of messes with our, you know, our, our theology. Because if he's the enemy of God, why would he be allowed in God's presence and why would God listen to anything he has to say? But there are many examples of this in the Bible. We could take the book of Job as a prime example of Satan being in the presence of God making accusations and God operating in his sovereignty over Satan. So when we get to this war in heaven in today's reading, it, it, it's interesting Because the battle happens, and of course, Satan is defeated uh, along with all of his followers, and they're they're thrown out. But now they don't get to come back. According to Revelation, after this happens, there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And so the great serpent was thrown down, and his angels were thrown down with them, and they were not, not allowed to go back. So, then... After that happens, a loud voice in heaven 
speaks these words. Now the salvation, power, kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah have come. The one accusing our brothers and sisters, the one accusing them day and night in the presence of our God has been thrown out. Which would mean there's no one to accuse God's people anymore. That is beautiful and even exhilarating, but leaves us with a time problem. If what we're seeing here is a vision of the very beginning of time, why are we finding that out in a book about the end of time? And what about all the subsequent references in the stories that came after the beginning of time uh, about Satan accusing people before God and being able to move in and out of his presence? So some would say, well, the crucifixion of Jesus, his resurrection, his work on the cross, that casts uh, Satan down for all time. You know, while others would say this is, this is something that's going to happen but hasn't yet happened, which then leaves us with the same theological problems of, okay, so Satan goes into the presence of God. He, he can move in and out of the presence of God and accuse us. So, I mean, <laughs> so you can uh, do your own scholarship and come to your own conclusions because I don't think it's completely clear. Which is why I say often in any given year of the Daily Audio Bible, we don't know all we think we know. But I do think it's somewhat compelling to, to think that this utter demise, this utter stamping out of evil in the world is something that is progressively happening. And we find out from the book of Revelation in our reading today that the ultimate victory here happens over Satan because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And it makes us realize we have been talking about the word of their testimony in uh, literal terms and in figurative terms since the very beginning of this book. And uh, whether it has already happened, whether it is progressively happening, or whether it is something that will happen, the day comes that there is no more accuser in the presence of God, and evil is ultimately defeated because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And so in the imagery, Satan is cast down and he, he can't go anywhere else. He's cast down and he can't get back to God to make accusation, and he freaks out. So here's how Revelation describes it. They won the victory over him because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They didn't love their life so much that they refused to give it up. Be glad for this reason, heavens, and those who live in them. So it's saying, be glad about this, those of you who are heaven dwellers. But how horrible it is for the earth and the sea. Because the devil has come down to them with fierce anger, knowing that he has little time left. And so Satan, the serpent, realizes he's been thrown down to earth and freaks out. He goes after the woman who had given birth to the boy. So, like, depending on who you think this woman is, that will be your interpretation. But if the woman really does represent the people of God who are on the earth, that would make sense. He has no one to accuse to anymore. And so he is just freaking out on God's people, trying to destroy in rage and anger. 
which is uh, where we ended our reading today. So what's challenging is piecing all of this together in a linear fashion and, fashion and then trying to date it and find all the signs that correspond to it and all this. This has been a problem all along. But the encouraging news is, in the end, there is no one to accuse us. In the end, the kingdom does come. In the end, yes, it causes a great uh, unrest. But in the end, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So, Father, we thank you for your word, as we do every day. And uh, we thank you for all that you are speaking to us in spite of the complexities of the book of Revelation. And we thank you for everything that you have spoken to us throughout this entire year. You are good. Your mercy endures forever. And in the end, there is no one to accuse us. And you have let us be a part of this story. So we invite your Holy Spirit to come, continue to speak to us as we ponder and meditate on your word and come and guide us forward that our light might shine and our witness might overcome. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>